people would visit the uh, library in uh, New York, I think it was the Brooklyn Public Library, I'm not sure which one, and uh, I think this following story may, may contribute to the discussion today. She um, was taking out her books and the uh, librarian noticed that her library card said Mrs. You know, her name, Harrison, and she said, um, are you perhaps related to the Grand Rabbi? She said, yes. So she said, you know, I have, a, I have an issue. Um, I wrote him and he gave me advice and it didn't work. And she wanted a blessing for children and they were told to light Shabbos candles. And she went to light Shabbos candles and it didn't uh, materialize. She didn't have a child. Davidson said to her, what time do you light Shabbos candles? She says, when I get home, I get home. As soon as I get home, I, I light Shabbos candles. When do you get home? She got home in the wintertime, she got home after Shabbos, and sometimes she got home a few hours before Shabbos. It was never in sync with the time of the onset of Shabbos. So Davidson told her that she has to make sure to light Shabbos candles on time, and she will certainly be blessed with her heart's desire for good. So she took Rebetzin's advice to heart and her, the blessing was fulfilled. But what was remarkable to me in the story is not that the Rebetzin like, oh, I'm going to go speak to my husband, I'm going to ask. She right away knew, there, there must be some issue. My husband gave you advice, it's for sure going to work. It, 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 the issue is not that I have to go back to him, the issue is something for, it, it's, it's the way a, a, a chassid thinks. Anyway, so I think this is related, relevant to the discussion I wanted to share today. This week we're reading, reading the Torah portion called Mishpatim. The um, Torah has three kinds of laws. Laws which are called chukim, super rational laws, laws which are beyond logic and reason. There are laws which are logical, but not fully logical. Like, for example, the law to keep Shabbos. It's not something that our minds would create ourselves. We would never, we would never invent Shabbos. But once Hashem has given us this mitzvah, we have a way to define what the mitzvah is and how it was, and what, what its origin is. God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh day. He tells us to do the same. So we have, we have a, a, a way of understanding where it comes from. And then there are mitzvahs discussed in this week's Torah portion, Mishpatim, which are totally accepted and absorbed in the human mind. And they, these mitzvahs, the Talmud says, are so logical that even if the Torah would, God forbid, have not been given to us, we would have figured them out. We would have figured out that this is the way we should have acted. There's something that we would have learned from the animals. Talmud says we, we would have learned um, uh, honesty from an ant and modesty from a cat, uh, even if the Torah would not have been given. So, so the um, first word of this week's Torah portion is the Elam Mishpatim, and these are the laws. There's a letter Vav. The first letter of the Torah portion is letter Vav. Vav means and these are the laws. So the commentary Rashi explains that the letter Vav is a connecting letter. It's saying that this Torah portion is connected to the previous one. The previous Torah portion, yesterday on Shabbos, you read about the giving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments. So the letter Vav is a connection to this Torah portion, and it says, this, this too comes from Mount Sinai. Don't think just the laws, uh, the Ten Commandments come from Mount Sinai. 
but also these laws come from Mount Sinai. The uh, emphasis of the um, laws of Mishpat and coming from Mount Sinai is very significant. The um, Torah is telling us that you may think that the super-rational laws, the laws which are beyond logic and reason, those are the ones that God wants you to pay attention to the author, because only he could have authored them. Only he could have authored something which is super-rational. But those laws which are logical and rational, you may think that it's not important to uh, focus on the origin, because the, on the contrary, Hashem specifically gave them in a way that our human mind can understand it, not just the soul can understand them, not just the Tom can understand, but anyone can understand these laws. So why do I need to um, underscore they come from Mount Sinai? So, Talmud, so therefore the very first letter of the, of the first word of the Torah portion says no. You have to realize that even these laws, you have to recognize and you have to feel and you have to know that these laws come from Mount Sinai as well. The, the first law in the Torah portion is the law of a, a slave. It's an unusual thing to start the Torah portion with. Um, the uh, Torah uses an example of something. It usually uses an, a, a common example. Torah talks about the majority of scenarios. And here the Torah talks about a situation which is not usual, not normal. And in fact, it's very rare that a person is in the category of the slave described in the Torah portion. What, what, what is it talking about? Reuven steals from Shimon and he cannot afford to pay for he's caught. He cannot afford to pay for the, uh, the, the item he's stolen and the double payment he needs to make the kofel. Uh, so the law is that Reuven is sold in slavery. And that's the very first law of the store portion. If you can't afford to pay for what you've uh, stolen, then you are still you're you are s- s- uh, sold to slavery to to pay for the uh, damage to pay for the um, fine and to pay for the, the item that you stole so it's a very rare law and it's not something you think the torah should begin when it tells us the laws of rational laws even if the torah wants to begin with the laws of slavery <laughs> with laws of theft talk about theft ruling you're not allowed to steal and if you do steal this is the law and if you can't afford to pay for the, your, 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 your um, for what you've stolen, this is the law. But Torah doesn't discuss a, a thief and uh, a slave. The Torah goes right into what happens if you steal and you can't afford to pay. Why is the Torah going to such, such a, a, a uh, rare situation? It's not the, there's so many other rational laws the Torah um, could have begun with. Why is the Torah beginning specifically with, with this law? So, in the very first um, words of the Torah portion, it says, these are the laws you should place before them. And the Talmud explains, when you have a court case, you have a law, you need to determine, you have a disagreement, what do you do? Go before them, go before a Jewish court. What if a non-Jewish court has the same opinion as the Jewish court? They agree. There's no real difference between them. They both see eye to eye in this, this scenario might think doesn't matter which court you go to. The Torah says, no, put the, your court case before them, before the Jewish court, and not before the, the Gentile court. Why? Because these laws 
are the laws from Mount Sinai. Even though it seems the Gentile court has the same position, yet there's something in the stuff of these laws that you're getting in the Jewish court, you're not getting the Gentile court. And that you see in the law of the, the first law that the Torah presents, the law of a slave. The different, as I mentioned, the different kinds of slaves. There's a slave, a person could sell himself into slavery because he just can't afford to live and he wants to provide for his family, so he sells himself into slavery. So his subservience to his master uh, is complete, but there is a limit to his obligations. The Torah says that he is mandated to do for his master. For example, there's a very degrading task that a slave has to do for his master only if he is sold into slavery. If a person is, sells himself into slavery, he cannot be forced to marry a non-Jewish slave to provide offspring for his master. But if he is sold into slavery by, slavery by the court, then his master may marry him off to a non-Jewish slave in order to, in order to create a, a more slaves for his master. So the, the idea of him being sold into slavery means that he is at a state of total abnegation to his master, which is relevant to our relationship to Hashem. When God gave us a Torah, it says the Torah, Hashem asked us if you wanted the Torah, what do we say, Avram? Hashem asked us if you wanted the Torah, what do you think we said? Right. Bottle, very good. We said massive initial, we will do before we understand. Massive initial. What do those words really mean, massive initial? Massive initial means we will do and we will hear, we will listen. Those words don't really make sense because you can't do until you hear. Go, I have something I want to ask you. I'm going to, okay, I'll do it. You don't even know what it is. How can you say you'll do before you hear? Some interpret the words hear as understand. So then you could explain, I will do before I understand. But the little trans, literal translation of the words are, we will do and then we will listen, then we will hear. How could, how could you say you'll do before you'll hear? It should have said, we will hear and listen and then we'll do it. So the meaning of our statement is as follows. When we said to Hashem, we will do before we will hear, we were conveying that not only will we obey whatever Hashem tells us to do, but that we belong to Hashem. If we would say, we will listen and then we'll do, what are we saying? You first express yourself, you first say exactly what you want, and then we will externally obey what you have, uh, what you have said. For, until you say anything, we're our own uh, people, we're our own man, I do my own thing, I, don't, I, 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 I have my own existence. I'm not about you, I have my own life. Once you tell me what you want, I'm there for you. That's, we will listen and then we will do. We will do before we do, means that I belong to you. Not only will I do what you tell me to do, but I'm yours. We will do before we will listen means that I am your servant. It doesn't matter what you say, that's a given, I'll do that too. But before I'll do what you say, I belong to you. In the analogy I just gave, if someone said, I have something to ask for you, and you say, I'm there. That, 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 in that scenario, it could be the person who's saying, just tell me what it is, and I'm, I'm ready to do anything. But 
But when you say we will do, before even there's an Hashem is talking about asking us for something, before he even says something, um, it, it, it expresses this connection we have with Hashem, that, we're, that we are his slaves, that we are his servants, that our connection is, is, is infinite, that there's no, there's no limitation. It says that before the Torah was given, our relationship to Hashem was like a child to a father. And after the giving of the Torah, when God chose us as his people, our relationship became like a servant. A child, no matter how devoted he is to his father, is a natural bond to his father. By the way, Abraham, I noticed how, how your father says good morning the same way you do. Hey, I didn't realize the last week it's the same the same tune. Do you notice that? Yeah. So uh, so we, we, that's what relationship we had to that with Hashem before the giving of the Torah. We will we are we were your children. We wanted what our father says. But after giving the Torah, something more. We are your servants. We're, we are devoted to you beyond our nature. But if we're devoted to Hashem because of our own volition, because we decided to, it's still a limitation. It's still not our core. It's still, it's still, it's still, it still has a limitation. A human being, his commitment can only be as good as a human being is. It's a limited. So God took the mountain, and God didn't just ask us if we wanted to keep the, to keep the Torah. The Talmud says he took the mountain and put it over our heads like a barrel. What's the meaning of a barrel? One explanation of the barrel is when you're standing in a barrel, there's no way to go. In a similar way, when God gave us the Torah, he showed us such love that you couldn't help but not love him back. There's no way to resist it. Our relationship with Hashem was not just because we said, we let, and that uh, coercion that Hashem gave us through his love for us produced a different kind of a devotion to Hashem, much as a servant who is sold by his master, sold into slavery by a Jewish court, it's not because he wants to be sold into slavery, it's because he has no choice. In a similar way, the Rebbe says there are certain kinds of challenges Jewish people experience in exile that wouldn't be able to withstand these challenges had not God, had not God coerced them, had not worshipping something that God made, not, some, not something that we made. For example, the Rebbe said, before Mashiach comes, there is a, the first... There are four sections of, the, of, of Jewish law. Each, each section is subdivided in many parts. Each part is divided into many, many more parts. There is, there is the, the four general uh, parts of the code. Then there are the various sections of the different parts of the code. Then there are subsections of each, each part of the code. The very first law of the first part of the code is don't be embarrassed for people who scorn you. It's not an easy one. It's, and, that's, and that's the way to keep the entire, it's such an important thing, it's placed in the very first law of the Torah, because that's the basis for filling the Torah. Do not be embarrassed. So that everyone said that before Mashiach comes, there are certain situations of scorn, that a human being would not be able to withstand them. It's only because God at Mount Sinai chose us as his people, and he and our obligation to him is not just because of our commitment we will do before we understand, but because he chose us to be his servants, um, our, and if we have no choice, his document of ownership comes before the document of the Pharaoh. God owns us, so to speak, as his servants. So because of this, we have no choice. So that's why the Torah begins with this law. It's telling us that our devotion to Hashem is not something which is just our own. Our devotion to Hashem is something which is infinite. It's an infinite relationship we have with Hashem. It's, it's an infinite bond. Beyond even our own devotion. Yeah. 
Is it? It's infinite. It's infinite. 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 It's not infinite. It's servant. No? Well, it is because it's. Uh, if, if if you are, if Hashem is making you a, a servant, can you can can you remove that obligation? No. So you can't from a child uh, as a child either. A, pa- a parent and a child it's have a natural bond. Very fact that it's a natural bond means it's limited in nature. In some oh. way. It, it, it is, there's another um, um, discussion about. The Exodus of Egypt. We discussed once how Hashem um, redeemed us from Egypt because we're, we're His children. Not every Jew left. A Jew was able to say, "I'm not your child. I can cover that bond. I can hide it." There's a part of me that can resist it. Once God chose us as His people, and once God chose us to be His servants, there's there's no part in us that can that can remove that. There's no part in us that's deeper than that. You don't use the word intimate. Your, your truth is that even even Regarding the intimacy of the bond, the, the, how far in that goes, the fact that God chose us as a servant, to be his servants, that's something which goes to our very essence. And that's why when Mashiach comes, every Jew will be redeemed. There won't be a situation like in Egypt where some Jews are saying, I don't want to go. Anyway, so the very first law of the Torah this week is the law of the servant because Hashem wants to underscore that this is the relationship we have and this is especially relevant when talking about the rational laws. The previous Shabbat once said, the world says that the mitzvahs which are rational, um, I like, I enjoy them. I can be able to keep them in a good way. Mitzvahs are super rational, those are harder. May I, and people wish, halavai, they say, I wish the mitzvahs which are super rational, I would keep with the same fervor and devotion as the, as the ones that are rational. But the previous Shabbat says the opposite has to be the case. The mitzvahs which are rational have to be kept with the same devotion. That, that's what you should, that's what you need to wish, that's what you need to ask, you need something, something in you to achieve that even the mitzvahs which are rational shouldn't be done because they're rational rather than they should be done because God wants you to do them. If God tells you to move your feet, you can move your feet. God tells you to move, move your hands, move your hands. When God tells you, I want you to think and understand. And I just understand, in the verse I quoted before, and these are the laws you should place before them, Rashi explains, when you teach someone Torah, it's not sufficient that you're just telling them Torah. You have to put it in front of them, like a set table, so they could eat at the table. So it's all there, ready to be eaten. You have to understand the Torah so well, that it makes sense to them, that they are, they, they're able to concretely relate to the, to the subject matter and own it. You put it before them, make it theirs. So, if we're talking about my mind, my existence, my being, you think Sinai isn't relevant. You think it's, it's, it's about me understanding. And therefore, the Torah emphasizes the first letter that although we're talking about using your mind, and therefore you would think it's about you and about your understanding and your appreciation, and you should own it, your ownership. So it's not about Sinai. It's about you. And therefore, the Torah emphasizes with the very first law the Torah presents this Torah portion that although we're talking about logic, and not just logic, but logic that you own, Nevertheless, why are you doing this? Because you're so devoted to God that even when God, that you're not only doing things with your hands and feet, but you're even doing things with your mind. You're, you're using your mind to serve Hashem, which shows a deeper devotion to Hashem. You're devoting your mind to Hashem, and not only devoting your mind to Hashem, you're using your mind only because God wants you to use your mind. In other words, Abraham, we have a piece of salami on our hands. And 
we should have, uh, we, we could have put tattooed on the piece of salami that this piece of salami is uh, Rabashkin's or whatever company it is. Previous episode said that a soldier has a head. Why does a soldier have a head? He needs a head to, in order to aim his rifle. So in a similar way, a Jew needs to have a mind to know what God wants him to do. That's why Hashem gave us a mind. Know what Hashem wants us to do. But more specifically, in the words Nas and Anish, we will do and then we will hear. We will hear means also we will understand, as I mentioned before. Hashem wants us to, to, to connect with Him in, inside us, in our mind. Not just that we should have a blind obedience, we should also understand. But that itself that we're understanding has to also be with blind obedience, because Hashem wants me to understand. That's what the mission is. So that's a different kind of devotion to Hashem. That shows a deeper devotion that even you're using your mind because God wants you to use your mind. The Rarizal said that before you put on tefillin, you should say, I step on myself to put on tefillin. I'm, go- I'm going to fulfill the mitzvah of putting on tefillin. The reason also said, when you say Shema, you should say, I accept upon myself to say Shema. Although Shema is a mitzvah about your bond with Hashem. Shema is about your relationship with Hashem. How God's oneness becomes something that you relate to, becomes part of you. You would think it has nothing to do with uh, fulfilling the will of God. Yet the result says no. You're, when you say Shema, you have to say, I'm going to fulfill the will of my Creator, to say Shema. And this is what the Torah is underscoring with that letter. That's why the Torah was given on Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. The Torah says, you should know, these laws come from Mount Sinai. What's the Mount Sinai thing? Mount Sinai, the Talmud says, was the lowest of all mountains. And the Talmud is emphasizing that it's the humblest, humble mountain, the lowest mountain. And therefore God shows this mountain is the most humble. But if God wanted humility, he wanted something low. Why not give the Torah in a valley? Why not give Torah in something lower than a mountain? The mountain is still raised up, it's still, it's still, it's still exalted. Why give the Torah on a, on a small mountain? We can give the Torah on a plain or in a valley. The answer is, there's two components Hashem wants us to have in our relationship to him. He wants us to have our logic. He wants us to understand the Torah. He wants it to become about us, how we appreciate it. If you read the words of Abaya and you don't get what Abaya is saying, you're not doing the mitzvah studying Torah. The mitzvah studying Torah, then you know what Abaya said and you understand it. And you're able to, and, and you know, you have your angle of what Abaya is saying. That's the mitzvah studying Torah. You don't have your, your angle of understanding what Abaya is saying, you're not doing the mitzvah studying Torah, on the one hand. On the other hand, why do you need to know what Abaya is saying? Because Hashem said to know what Abaya is saying. Like the uh, Hasidic custom used to be, I know how it changed, when Hasidim would study Talmud, they would say, Abaya says, Hashem says. Abaya says, God says. Rav says, Hashem says. That's what Hasidim would always learn. So that's the meaning of the small mountain. What's motivating your mountainous experience of you making yourself this, this, this giant of understanding of Torah? Why do you want to become a Godel? Why do you want to have this... This, 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 uh, this brilliant analysis of the Talmud, what's making you so big, it's that you're so small. It's that you are a, a servant of Hashem. This is coming from Mount Sinai. This is God's commandment. Your, your, your approach to the study of Talmud, why are you studying Talmud? Because Hashem asked you to study Talmud. Hashem wants you to understand the Talmud. So what's making the mountain a mountain is the fact that it's small. It's a mountain. It's about your existence, about your appreciation, how you feel, what it, how you experience the Talmud. And yet, what is the mountain about? It's about its smallness. 
It's about its devotion to Hashem. It's about, I'm studying, and I want to understand what I'm studying. But why do I understand what I'm studying? Because Hashem wants my mind to be consumed with this thought. He wants me to, my mind to be, I've ever told someone, even in Copland Landing, I've ever told a friend of mine that uh, he shouldn't just uh, learn Hasidus, he should be put his mind into it until it's over his head. So you're, 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 it's, if you're using your mind, then you're scuba diving, you're being very analytical. But it should be Ibrahim cup over your head. It's not about, about you, it's about Hashem's desire. And he wants your mind to be scuba diving the Torah and biz Ibrahim cup told above your head. And that's what I'm going to share today. Any questions or comments, criticism? Chaim, Chaim, Rachim.